all kids, right, Cakes? No intro song this time. Good morning, everybody. I'm like amen times a million to that song. Uh, and thank you, band, for, for leading us in that today. Uh, I just, I feel a sweetness kind of about this season as a church, and I get to come up here just kind of full of life today uh, and full of joy. Like, I, I've just seen our church um, have so much fun together this season and really dig into these messages and these teachings of Jesus, uh, the Sermon on the Mount together this season. I've seen us serve together. We haven't served the city a couple weeks ago. Uh, and just got to love on people who do hard but really good work in this city and, and come alongside them and partner with them in compassion and mercy and justice work. So I, I just want to say thank you, church, for the ways you guys have stepped up this season. Um, it's also just it's sweet to like watch the second graders get their Bibles last week. It's great to see like babies being born. I feel like there's been like 12 babies born in the last week. Uh, I, I got actually, I, he's not here right now because he's, he's uh, on paternal leave. Sorry, I'm moving this up. There we go. But I got to meet uh, Brandon and Jess's baby last night. Brandon is our, he's our youth pastor and uh, baby Harvey was born the other day. I think I'm allowed to tell you this because it's on Instagram now. Um, but <laughs> That's when it's official, right? But I got to hold him last night, and it was, like, so, so sweet to, to meet his baby boy. And I can't wait till uh, Brandon's back here to show him to the world uh, with all y'all, too. Uh, he peed on me also, but I, I'm not going to mention that. <laughs> um, if you would, I'm going to start by reading the Word today, uh, by reading God's Word. Uh, I, I like to sometimes just remind myself before I, before I open this book uh, that uh, it, it's called holy, uh, w- which I think it means it's challenging, um, it's wise, it's, it's really brilliant, uh, it, it's mysterious, like we're, we don't understand it all the time, um, and, and it's also inspired. Like when people have opened this book throughout history, when the disciples of Jesus have opened this book throughout history, like stuff has just happened. Uh, and, and unexplainable things. God has spoken, and people have moved, and people have responded. And so it's with this readiness I ask you to open your Bible with me this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to pick up kind of where we've left off, right at the beginning of Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have your Bible, it's right behind me too. Jesus says this, Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is still in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to see the speck in your neighbor's eye. Other translations say brother's or sister's eye there. Verse 6, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls to pigs or they will trample them underfoot and turn to maul you. One of the stranger verses in this sermon. 
And then he says, ask in verse 7, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And then in verse 12, he sums everything up with this. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. Bless you, whoever that was. For this is the law and the prophets. If you'd pray with me real quick. Lord, uh, wherever we're coming from today, wherever we are on this journey with you, we're here today because we long to meet with you. We know that you have something for us, and, and God, I pray that you would get me, DJ, out of the way so that, um, so that your word would be able to speak effectively to people's hearts. We invite you to do your work here in this place today, God. And us as a people said, amen. Amen. Uh, so if you're coming around here for the first time today, or maybe if you've missed a few weeks, like I kind of just mentioned, we are in the middle of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we've titled this series, as you might remember, uh, A New Kind of People. And we've been calling it A New Kind of People because our hope and our prayer throughout this whole sermon series is that you, me, and us might actually embody the kind of community that Jesus is talking about. Not just read about it and study about it, but like actually embody it. That actually we might see as we prayed today, Delaney's prayer was so awesome, we might see as Delaney prayed today that his kingdom would actually come here and now in our midst. That's something we believe can happen here. And so with that in mind, uh, we, we've been preaching through this Sermon on the Mount and I've been noticing, and I hope you've been noticing, some pretty big themes or some pretty big shifts that Jesus is calling people into throughout this sermon. So if you've never heard this sermon before, if this is, again, your first time here today, these are kind of the big themes we're seeing throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're taking notes, these might be good for you to write down because it's, it's a pretty good kind of all-encompassing, I think, vision of what's happening. Number one, I think Jesus is, is actually calling us from a trust in ourselves to a complete trust in him. So we're moving from a trust in ourselves to fully trusting in Jesus. There's a tendency as we read the Sermon on the Mount to kind of like pick and choose like the parts of it we like and the parts of it we don't like and just kind of patchwork it together so that it fits our situation well, right? I, I want to suggest to you that reading the Bible that way is actually trusting in yourself more than trusting Jesus and what trusting Jesus fully means is that we take this whole thing as one and we say, Jesus, I don't get it all the time. It's hard a lot of the time, but I'm going to trust you completely. I'm going to take it as a whole. I'm going to do everything your word says, not just the parts of it I want. So that's the first assumption we're kind of making here, that Jesus knows better than us. Two, we're talking about kind of faith as like an individual knowing to faith as a communal embodiment or to faith as communal practice. And this is big because I, I think in America, 
we, we kind of tend to individualize everything we encounter, right? Especially in faith. And then we also tend to make it very head-based, like very head knowledge. And I think what Jesus is trying to do here is to consider how these passages are more than just a guide to your own personal morality. These are more than just teachings for your own personal morality. They're actually to be practiced in the context of relationships, in the context of community. And finally, I think Jesus is talking about moving from surface-level behavior modification, we've talked a lot about that so far in the sermon series, into deep heart change, from surface-level behavior modification, choosing, uh, I'm, I'm going to change this a little bit by my life, to a deeper heart change. That's what he wants for us. We've seen over and over and over again that Jesus' teachings are ultimately about cultivating and protecting your heart. Jesus is not just interested in your behavior adjustment. He wants a fully devoted heart. Say that again. Jesus is not just interested in a behavior adjustment. He wants your fully devoted heart. So we're going into this passage today. If you got your pair of goggles on, we're going into this passage today with those goggles on, okay? Number one, that Jesus knows better than me. That's something I have to trust. Two, that this is not just for me and my, myself, but this is for my community too, and that's why I show up here today. That's why I learn, and that's why I listen. And three, uh, that everything Jesus commands is ultimately about caring for my heart. So everything you hear today, it's about ultimately caring for your heart. Now, broadly read, the scripture I just read today is about kind of family relationships. I, I don't know if you noticed that, but it's number one about our relationships between our brothers and sisters, our relationships we have with other Christians. When he's talking about judging others, it's kind of what he's getting at. Number two, it's our, actually kind of, I think, he's talking about our relationships to people outside the church or to non-Christians. We're going to touch on that a little bit. But that's another kind of relationship he's talking about when he talks about dogs and pigs. Very weird verse, but we're going to try to explain that a little bit. And three, I think Jesus is talking about our relationship to God, our Father, right? He goes into how that you pray, you ask, you seek, you knock, and he's talking about our upward relationship to God, our Father. So this is a, a whole passage. These 12 verses are talking about family relationships. Now, because I don't have three hours here, I, I'm going to just hone in, I think, on the first part of that. How do you and I relate as members of this church, as Christians, to one another? So we're really going to focus in on the judging others passage today. Uh, that's verses one through five. I'm not going to read it again because I don't think we need to, but check that in your Bible. So verses one through five, we're going to be talking about judging others. And I think when you, when you read this passage simply, there's like some, sometimes you get to a place in the Bible and you're like, I don't need a preacher to tell me how this works. Like it's pretty clear like what's going on on the page already. Uh, I, I think this is one of those passages, chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Jesus is saying a few things. He's saying as a follower of Jesus, don't judge. Like straight up, he's just saying don't judge. He's saying that the way you evaluate others is the way you're going to be evaluated. So what you put out there is what you're going to get back. And then I think he's also saying that we can only start to evaluate somebody, I'm sure you caught this, after we have done a whole lot of our own self-work to look at what our own much bigger faults are, right? A surface level, just a simple reading of the passage is going to give you that. And sometimes as a communicator, um, 
you, you go into kind of a passage of the Bible and, and you frame actually your, the structure of your teaching around like what questions you're left asking, right? I'm sure some of us are left asking some questions after reading this passage today. And I always love a little bit of talk back. I try to talk back whenever somebody's up here other than me. But I, I'm wondering what questions for you guys are you left asking having read this passage? Shout them out if you want to, if you dare. What's the deeper question going on for you? I guess I'm the only one who asks questions. How can you change? Yeah. Yeah, how do you remove that plank from your eye? That's a good one. Why am I judging another person? Lynn said, yeah, why? How do you give feedback? That's a great question, too. I feel like you guys just kind of named mine. <laughs> my, my three questions I'm going to go after today are why is judging, or, or sorry, what is judging exactly, and how is judging different from correction? So that's going to get at how we give feedback. Number two, why is judging such a big deal to Jesus? He seems to be making a very big deal of it here, and the question is why that is. Why is judgment destructive? And three, how do we change? How, how, how do I actually remove the, the plank from my eye? Uh, I thought about that a little bit this week, and I'll, I'll suggest some things. So if you're taking notes, so, super simple. Three questions we're going after today. Number one, what is judging? Uh, in figuring out what judgment really is or what Jesus could mean by judging, it's helpful, I think, to go back to the people he's talking to, Right? Jesus is um, sur surely, like, he's, he's preaching on a mount. He's up on, on a mountain, although we would call it more of a hill, I think. And we have to remember who he's talking to. He's probably talking in this sermon to thousands of Jewish people. But then in this sermon, he's really honing in on, like, a select group of them, right? He's honing in on the religious teachers of the law, who we might call the Pharisees, right? Right. And th this specific group, you might remember from past sermons, is doing some things that Jesus isn't very happy with. They're using God's law formulaically to determine what is and what isn't allowed by God's people, right? But then in turn, they're getting so tit for tat about it that in turn they're actually permitting behaviors by God's people that really aren't in alignment with God's heart. We've talked about this, right? lustful intent towards another person's wife, for instance, or hoarding your wealth for yourself, for instance, or being angry with someone and hurling insults at them. The Pharisees, the teachers of God's law, are permitting this behavior because they're reading the law so religiously, so tit for tat. And then what's going on is that these teachers of the law have the audacity to turn around and to tell all the people how dare you do that. How dare you do that? And they're playing this game of religious, uh, religious duck, duck, goose, basically, where they're going around tapping each person saying, sinner, sinner, sinner. And so Jesus is getting at, as he's talking to this audience, what Jesus is getting at, I think, uh, is like a fault-finding mentality, that so many of these people have adopted, right? That so many teachers of the religious law have adopted. It's a whole mentality that Jesus is talking about, a readiness or an eagerness even to find the shortcomings of others. 
John Stott, who's a great uh, kind of biblical scholar, he calls this censoriousness. Everybody say censoriousness. That's a fun one if you've got a lisp. Censoriousness. Uh, censoriousness. But, but it's basically getting at this. It's a whole fault-finding lens that we, that we live in, right? That's what they're operating in. In defining judgment, uh, I'm just going to spit, uh, spit some, some definers for you of what judgment is if you're taking notes. But I, I went to uh, a, a teaching this week by Pastor Bethany Allen. She's a pastor up in Portland, uh, and I thought she, she defined a lot of this well. She says, judging is when you, excuse me, judging is when you call out perceived evil or wrongdoing in another person without loving them. It's when you draw attention to someone else's faults just to draw attention to them. And then you come to a conclusion about who that person is based on those faults. Judging is rooted in selfish and self-righteous behavior. Why? Why do we judge? Why did the religious leaders judge? Because oftentimes when we judge other people, and it's, a, it's an attempt to feel better about ourselves, right? So judgment is rooted in selfishness and self-righteousness. And I think an even better litmus test of whether or not we're judging someone is paying attention to how it's making the other person feel, right? I think everybody knows here to some degree or another what it feels like to be judged. Think about that for a second. Have you been judged before? And what does that feel like? I think most of the time what judgment produces or what judging someone produces in the other person is a feeling of shame. You can't get away from that, right? What happens, I think, is people uh, feel like they are trapped in someone else's opinions. You've probably felt this yourself. And actually, for this reason, shame actually isn't a very effective way to change someone. For this reason, when we judge someone, it's a very poor way to try and change their behavior. It's like the last thing you want to do when you feel judged, right? And so there's this feeling of not just you did bad, a bad thing, and um, that wasn't right. We actually get this feeling of you are bad. You did a bad thing and you are bad. So that's what shame causes us to feel. Uh, I have a friend uh, who has stood on trial before a judge uh, a couple of times. <laughs> and I asked him this week what it's like to, to be sentenced by a judge to be sentenced by a judge. And I thought this was really telling. He said, it feels like you're powerless. When a judge speaks a sentence over you, you feel powerless. And I think that's what judging produces in another person when we judge them. And so Jesus says, don't judge. Pretty simple. So if that's judgment, it's worth asking what correction is, right? What is correction? How is that different than judgment? I think this is worth asking because on one hand, we have, I, I, I think, a history within churchy culture of heavy judgment, of being too heavy on the judgment. But then in a lot of the world we live in now, in a lot of the, kind of the waters we swim in, there's this general attitude of don't judge me, bro, right? Like, just don't judge me. And a lot of the world we live in is so averse to any sort of feedback whatsoever because it's taken as judgment. A lot of people, when you heard this verse today, Matthew 7, 1, 
you didn't hear don't judge so that you won't judge others. What you heard was if you don't judge me, I won't judge you, right? There's this attitude, I think, today of let's just stay away from offering any feedback whatsoever because oftentimes offering somebody input is taken as a threat to their very identity. And that's just what we're living in. So it, it's, it's worth asking how correction might be different because what I don't see happening in this passage is Jesus just saying, don't make any critical comments or don't, don't give any input at all. Jesus isn't saying that. I think Jesus leaves room for correction, so we need to figure out what correction actually means, right? Now, before I go anywhere, I, I want to say this, because this kind of came to mind as I was writing this this week. Uh, it's kind of a caveat. I think that we, like meaning us Christians in God's family, uh, in the church, I, I think that we sometimes have a problem with telling other people who are not Christians what they should or should not be doing. I get the heart behind that, uh, but I'm really kind of tired of watching us tell people how to live who haven't actually given Jesus authority in their lives. And so I think when we start to offer input to people who don't call Jesus their Lord, who don't call Jesus their authority in their lives, what happens is a whole lot of damage in that other person's life, right? We cause a whole lot of hurt. And then usually, too, what happens is we waste a lot of time and energy as Christians trying to make people change who don't value Jesus' teachings in the same ways we do. And I think that's kind of what Jesus is getting at, actually, to skip ahead a little bit in verse 6, when he's saying, don't throw pearls to pigs and to dogs. He's not trying to call non-believers pigs and dogs, necessarily. He's, what he's saying, I think, is stop trying to throw these teachings of Jesus that you love and treasure in your life to people who don't know Jesus and who don't know how to value these things. And so I, I just, I want to make that agreement together today, and you can totally disagree with that too, because it's one interpretation, but I want to make that agreement together today just to please, please stop trying to impose a Christian ethic on people who don't call Christ their Lord. It doesn't make sense. And I think this is a word, again, for the God family, not necessarily for those outside or, or living outside of the church or living, who, who don't, don't call themselves Christians, basically. Capiche? So with that comment about how we treat others outside of Christian settings or who, how we treat brothers and sisters or, or people who are not Christian, uh, I want to speak now to how this applies within the God family. Because I think if we take this general attitude of tolerate everything and don't judge me into the God family, what can easily happen is like we aren't speaking into each other's lives at all and no growth is happening in this church, and we're all just kind of sitting complacent in our discipleship to Jesus. And that's not what I see happening here either. I say that because in this verse itself, Jesus doesn't say, take that log out of your eye and then go leave your brother or sister alone, right? Jesus says, take that log out of your own eye so that you can actually go meet your brother and sister with more clarity and help them take the speck out of their eye. So we still see this kind of element of correction or input in this word that we read today. That's not to mention later on in the book of Matthew, Jesus actually gives very specific instructions for how people within the church are supposed to approach other brothers and sisters in their path, of, in their path to discipleship of Jesus, how we're supposed to approach them to give them input 
on their own sin, right? So Jesus actually goes into how to do this in the family of God in Matthew chapter 18. The book of Proverbs, which is in the Old Testament, it des- this is over and over and over again in the book of Proverbs. It describes the wise person as the one who says, give me all the correction you can possibly give me. I want it. I want your input. I want your feedback. And it describes the fool as the one who insists, don't tell me how to live my life. So the book of Proverbs frames it this way. For this reason, I would say correction or accountability, even holding each other up to the standard of Christ-likeness that Jesus has given us is a central part of our discipleship to Jesus. You don't really get everything out of discipleship that you can get if you aren't welcoming people to speak into your life. So consider that. Now, how does correction differ from judgment? We kind of just went through some markers of judgment. Here are some markers of correction that I found helpful, again, from Pastor Bethany. Number one, correction is rooted in love. That's the first criteria. It's rooted in love, meaning that it is rooted entirely in seeking the good of another. Another way to say this is correction happens only after we have given someone the benefit of the doubt. I think of 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul's writing about love, and he says, love believes all things. And so when we give correction to somebody, or when we want to offer someone input, we believe that they have the best of intentions, and we see their heart. And then we offer up a word of input if we have it. Number one, correction is rooted in love. Number two, according to this passage, correction is humble. It should be humble. A a prerequisite is that you have done a whole lot of work examining yourself before you go and examine another. Again, that's that's kind of a simple, clear way to read this passage. Uh, In the words, I I think it's biggie. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Correct me if I'm wrong on that one, by the way. Number three, correction is humble. Number three, correction is simple, clear, and kind. It's simple, clear, and kind. It's specific, clear, and kind, actually. So judging, when we judge someone, we kind of take this posture of, well, I just feel like you're being like dot, 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 right? Correction says, I love you, first and foremost, I see this specific thing that isn't in alignment with who I know you to be, and I want to point that out because I love you. And so it's sandwiched in love, right? At Ocean Hills, we call this the poop sandwich when we offer each other feedback on staff. But it's this idea, this idea that we like love, we, we totally make sure we let someone know you're loved, and then we offer them some areas to grow, and then we remind them again that we're loved. So the next time you offer feedback, consider the poop sandwich. And finally, correction happens, and I hear this, hear this. Correction happens, I think, within a relationship. This goes back to my prior point, right? Like with the church trying to correct people who we're not in relationship with. But, but the same thing happens interpersonally too, I think. So many times I think we go wrong when we try to offer feedback to someone who we don't actually know, who we don't actually show up for in community and that causes a lot of hurt. So correction, I think, is best done and should be done in relationship. When you know that person and they know you, and they know that you have their best in mind. Relationship, relationship, relationship. Taking all this into account, I'm stealing from John Stott one more time. He's in spirit, right? 
generous with other people, always giving the benefit of the doubt. Certainly there's more to say on that topic, but consider that in your life groups this week. Talk about that question. What does it look like to lovingly offer correction or feedback to somebody within the Jesus community? Talk about that a little bit more. And ask yourself this question and and share it with people in your life group too. Ask yourself this question. Who have I given permission to to speak into my life? Who has permission? Who has access to my life so that they can give me input? Something to think about. Okay, question two. Why is judging such a big deal to Jesus? Jono, can I have you actually bring my um, plank up here in a second? I'm going to need it in a second. Um, I'd be willing to bet that kind of after, after our definitions we just did, uh, I'd be willing to bet that there's some of you in here who are like kind of ready to excuse yourself from the table, right? Because you're like, you're like, I'm a generally accepting person. I don't cut people down in front of them, and I don't really see how this applies to me. I think judging is such a big deal to Jesus uh, because it's so subtle, because it can be like so sneaky the way it sneaks into our lives. Here's what I mean by this. I think most of the time, these days, judging doesn't happen face-to-face with us. Judging happens in the small, fleeting moments where no one's watching. It happens in the small side conversations. It happens in the thoughts that we keep to ourselves and don't let anybody know about. (laughs) It happens, for instance, just for instance, when we have a family member or a friend, Thanksgiving is coming up, yay, uh, or when we have a church family member who expresses an opinion on something or, or has like a particular view about an issue, and because we know they think that about that issue, we just kind of start tacking other things on, other labels on to what that person, you know, we assume must believe given that they believe this, right? So I don't know, I'm just going to say it. Like if we find out someone is pro-choice, a lot of us go into, okay, that probably person is probably liberal, like social justice, pro-gay marriage, Democrat, progressive, probably Marxist, right? We, we tack these labels on because that's what we're trained to do. That's what our brains want to do. They want to categorize people. Same thing on the other side, right? You find, this is, this is a funny one. You find out someone went hunting. <laughs> And the like moment of, of transparency, I guess. I, you find out someone goes hunting. Okay, they must they must be pro gun rights, and they must be conservative, and therefore they must be pro life, and they must be anti immigrant, and they must be anti human rights, and yada yada yada. Right? We go into these assumptions about people. The moment we hear the first thing about them, we start drawing conclusions. And like I'm saying, this is so sneaky because it's not like we're saying these things out loud. Like. It's all just happening behind the scenes when we find something out about someone. That's called labeling. And labeling, we we just define judgment as jumping to conclusions about people, right? That is jumping to a conclusion about someone. And that's judgment. And Jesus says that that's wrong, especially when it's done in the family of God. I think social media is particularly dangerous for this reason because... inevitably on social media what happens is you spend time like death scrolling and you're like or doom scrolling or whatever it's called and you're like you're like scrolling your phone and you're just usually you're just like stuck in comparison when you're scrolling your phone right like whether you like it or not and you're scrolling your phone 
and you're thinking, okay, yeah, cool, yeah. And then and we have these thoughts about things, but like those thoughts, they, they seem innocent enough at first. There's always something behind them, right? Like you're scrolling and you think, oh, they, they bought a house. Good luck paying the mortgage, huh? <laughs> Confessions of a 30-year-old. Um, or, or if you're a parent, right? Like you're like, oh, like, huh, they, wow, they really spoiled their kid. I, I bet that's working out well for them. Uh, or, or, uh, geez, cut your hair, hippie. <laughs> so these are all these are all innocent enough thoughts, right? We think, okay, this is all happening behind the scenes. I don't need to tell anybody about it. There's nothing wrong I'm doing here. But you and I both know. Like behind these little comments we make about people's profiles or about the things that they put up online, there's often what I would call micro judgments, right? Jesus doesn't use that word, but I, I think it's appropriate here. Micro judgments. You start to draw conclusions. Too positive, too negative, too woke, too ignorant, too rich, too irresponsible with their money. Stupid ugly, manipulative, deceptive, thirsty, fake, you get it. We would never say these things out loud to someone. We would never. But we are constantly, I think, I am constantly making these micro-judgments about people. And I think Jesus gives such a grave warning here because micro-judgments, just like every other little thing in your life, start to build up. And they start to do something to you. And Jesus' warning, again, is about the caring of your heart. He cares for your heart. And he knows how much these things add up. And he knows how dangerous they can be. I'll take that plank now. Because if you think about it, I mean, it's such a ridiculous metaphor. Thank you, Jono. It's such a ridiculous metaphor. But, like, he's like, there's, this is in your eye. Like, this is what you look like right now. I had to bring this up because it's so ridiculous. It's a crazy metaphor. But he's like, you're, you're trying to make these micro-judgments about people. You're trying to make judgments about people with half your eyesight or less, right? Everything goes wrong. I could walk off this stage right now because I don't have any depth perception. Everything goes wrong when we're missing half our eyesight. And he's saying, like, when you're making judgments about people, you're trapping them in conclusion, you're drawing conclusions about them, you're distancing yourself from them. You're putting them in categories and boxes. When we do this, what happens is we're living with half our eyesight, and he warns us about it because we start to inflict damage when we only have half our eyesight. We distant. These days, we don't really talk to each other when we find out we have a difference between each other. What happens is we draw that conclusion about someone, and we just get farther and farther and farther away from them. I'm just going to check out. If I don't agree with you, I'm just going to avoid you. Because I don't have the energy for you. I don't have the time for you. I don't want to feel judged by you. So I'm just going to distance myself from you. And that happens, I think, in the smallest little sneaky ways. So Jesus says, don't judge, not only because it's, it's tearing another person down, but now because you're also tearing apart the whole community. Community is, 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 is rotting from the inside out when you're making small judgments about people and starting to distance yourself from them. I would also say judgment is so sinister, it's so sneaky, because it, it has this effect of being cancerous, I would call it. It begins to inform not just the way we see that one person or that one thing, but it starts to inform the way we see everything. What I mean by this is we start looking for the first thing that's wrong, 
about every person we see and about everything we see. We come at life with a whole lens of cynicism and with criticalism, or with criticism, right? I don't think criticalism is even a word. So <laughs> it becomes cancerous, and I, I, like, I get sad a lot of the time these days because I, I see this everywhere. Like, there's just this general, like, cynicism and, like, sarcasm to, like, everything out there these days. And I think what's going on there is not just, like, dark humor. I think it's judgment towards everything and towards everyone. And so judgment is cancerous. It takes over our whole vision. We're seeing with half our eyesight. The eye, we'll remember from last week, Jesus said this in the sermon, the eye is the lamp of the body, he says. And if that lamp is dark, he, he says, how great is that darkness? I think he's talking about judgment too. If the eye is dark, how great is that darkness? We need a different way of seeing the world than to look around and judge people all the time. We need a new kind of seeing. That's what I'm calling this message today. And we got to remove the log from our eye, Jesus would say. So the question then becomes, how do we remove the log? Bum, bum, bum. I wish I could give like a whole other sermon on this one, but here's some ideas. How do we remove the log? I have a couple practical ideas, and then I'm going to wrap it up with a, a kind of a deeper practice that I would invite you into today. A couple practical ideas. Um, number one, uh, one thing you can try, and I did this this week, is you could make a judgy list for yourself. So what I mean by this is you, you right now, you could start a notes tab in your phone this week, and you could, you could call it judgy list. That's what I called mine. Um, and you could track yourself and write down all the things that you make judgments about throughout the week. I dare you to do this. And, and pay attention not just to, like, the negative encounters you have with people, but pay attention to, like, the little things, like the micro judgments we're talking about. Pay attention to those especially. And just begin to track them down. Mine was shocking. It built up so fast. So fast. Way too fast. And, and I would just do this to, to, like, get an idea of where you're at, first of all, Right? I think you're probably judging way more than you would think so. Uh, I'm not going to show you my list today. No, I've been transparent enough. The ladder of integrity is another, another technique that I want to give you this week. I, I don't have time to present it today on the screen or something like that, um, but the ladder of integrity is a tool we use in our emotionally healthy relationships coursework, which I think we'll probably do next season. Um, and, and the ladder of integrity is this tool that's meant to stop us when we are kind of in a place of judginess towards someone or we're feeling super critical about someone. It's meant to stop us, and it's meant to get us to ask ourselves, what's really at the heart of the matter here? Like, what's really going on? Because oftentimes there's something much deeper than just something wrong with that person, right? Uh, this is a tool that helps you locate what you might feel critical about. Like, when it helps you stop when you feel critical, and it helps you locate how that thing might be violating a core value inside of you, like get down deep to that level so that you can communicate it more effectively to a person you might need to communicate it with. So it's kind of a cool, a tool, a cool tool for like the correction piece, right? Like when we need to correct someone, this is a super helpful tool. And I'm actually going to send that out in an email this week uh, just to help you understand how you walk through the ladder of integrity. integrity. And then finally, this is a le less of a technique uh, and more of, like we were talking about, kind of an embodied practice that you might want to try 
the next time you find yourself feeling judgy towards someone. Uh, I, I think to get the log out of our own eye, a lot of the time that starts to happen when we can just get super honest with ourselves. To get the log out of your own eye, I think you've got to get super honest with yourself. Psychologists tell us that judgment towards others typically arises when we are experiencing one of these three feelings. It comes from emotions. It might not have worked out the way you wanted it to. Maybe even um, there's like trauma that has happened to you earlier on in your life and you're still kind of living under that narrative and you're not who you want to be. So we feel insecure and then we start to judge. And a second feeling is loneliness. A lot of the times when we feel loneliness, judgment comes from our loneliness. What I mean by this is like, it, it says no one really cares about me. That's what loneliness tells us. And what I mean by this is when we feel lonely, we oftentimes use judgment to bond with other people in negativity about something or someone. So we go to judgment and we all gather around and we just start making negative comments about somebody or something. And it's a false form of bonding that we feel that comes from loneliness. And finally, a, a discontent is another emotion where judgment comes from. It says, I wish this could just be different in my life. Could be a terrible boss. <laughs> could be a life stage that you're getting really sick of. It could be someone or something that's not up to your standard. And when we feel discontent, judgment starts to arise out of that too. The truth in all of these, what I'm trying to say in this is a lot of the time judgment does not start with the wrong you see in somebody else. Judgment starts with the wrong you see in yourself. Judgment begins with, I think, to judge not just yourself, but to start judging everyone and everything around you. And so the next time you're feeling, in summary, judgment, ultimately, judgment keeps us from seeing ourselves and each other the way God sees us. Write that down if you're taking notes. Judgment is so bad because ultimately it keeps us from seeing ourselves and others the way that God sees us. I'm going to finish with kind of a short example from my life. Um, I was thinking of these people in this room today. You're kind of the ones that God put on my heart as I was prepping this message. I was thinking of the people in this room today who are stuck in kind of this deep trench of self-judgment. You're telling yourself all day long that you're not enough or you're fundamentally flawed in some way. Again, maybe you're, you've experienced trauma. And um, you tell yourself that you're not enough, and that's informing you to have to live in that. God's here to set you free today, I think, from that. I remember in my life, one of my own pits of self-judgment. I, um, I was traveling with a buddy of mine in younger years, and we met some guys on our travels one of the days. And uh, out of familiarity with them, we ended up drinking too much. They turned on us. They knocked both of us unconscious. And they took everything we had while we were knocked out on the floor. Um, we had to get back to the U.S. after that because we had been hurt so badly. We needed to go get checked out by the doctors. And I spent two days uh, with my buddy just trying to figure out how to get back to the States, how that was going to work. And I remember those two days as being two of the darkest days of my life because 
I was stuck in judgment. I had the same tape playing over and over and over in my head. It wasn't judgment towards them. It was judgment towards myself. I was thinking stupid, naive, drunkard, terrible friend, ruined the whole trip, wasteful, irresponsible. These were the tapes I was playing over and over in my own head. I, I got off the plane when we got back home, and I was walking towards the airport terminal, and I'd spent so much time telling myself these things in my own head leading up to this. Again, like a full two days, just over and over and over, like repeating these things in my head. I'd spent so much time telling these things that I was convinced I would hear them from both my parents when I saw them at the airport, with ourselves, to ourselves, with judgment, um, that we've become convinced that God thinks of us the same way as we think of ourselves. And I just want to remind you that he doesn't. God does not often think of you the same way you think of yourself. We read it today in that last passage. His message really is that we have no place to judge because we are not the judge, right? God is the judge. He ultimately has authority of what is and isn't true. And I think oftentimes we spin these tapes in our head. Ourselves does not speak a word of judgment over us. He speaks a word of mercy. He speaks a word of redemption. He speaks a word of love. Jesus is the definitive statement that God sees all of you and says, you are not the sum of your faults. You are not the tape you're playing in your head about yourself. You are wonderfully made. You're beloved. Johnny Cash said, God forgave me. So I figured I should give, forgive myself. And I want us to do the same thing today. We're about to head into a, a time of worship, and I think the invitation today is to let God remove that plank from your eye, to let your sight be restored. Some of us, I think, need to confess uh, that we have been living in judgment towards others and we just need to confess that we've been doing that and to stop that. And we're going to have a prayer team here uh, that you're welcome to just share that in safety with and say, I'm tired of living that way. I'm like exhausted by my judgment of other people, and I want to be let go of that. Others of us need to pray for the humility to let other people speak into our lives and give us input. And so maybe that's you today. God, give me some people to invite to speak into my life because I want to grow to be more like Jesus in community. And then finally, like I said, some of us need to just get out of our own heads today. Some of us need to throw down the tapes we've been playing over and over and over again. We need to throw them on the ground and we need to stomp on them and smash them into a thousand little bits because they don't belong in our heads anymore. There's one voice, truer than all others. He alone gets to say what's true of you, and he's spoken his word over you. You're loved, loved. You're set free. You're the recipient of mercy today. Um, we, we haven't done this in a while, but as we worship today, I want to I wanna invite people just to come fill the front, too. Um, this is your space to worship, and sometimes getting out of our head means getting into our body. And so oftentimes taking a kneeling posture or oftentimes even just standing up front and raising our hands, it helps us get out of our heads 
and give God his rightful place back. And so it's not an expectation or an obligation, but it's just to say this is your space today too as we worship. And if you need to stay longer and if you need to linger in worship, this is your space to do that. So come get on your knees. Come do business with God. Come let God speak a new word over you today. Let me pray for us. God, we ache to be set free from our old and outdated ways of seeing the world. And you've invited us to see everything and everyone as beautiful and good, just as you have made them. And so, Lord, I I pray today that you would empower us uh, to stop the tapes of self-judgment so that we would become a community who is growing more and more like you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, come. We need you to heal our hearts. We need you to set us free into something new today. This is your church. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with us.